Well, amen. If you'll take your copy of God's Word and join me in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, we'll pick up in verse 21 in just a moment. Pastor Jamie and I have been tasked with trying to catch up a little bit with where the church has been reading through and now studying in small groups the book of Romans. As we have already said, many scholars, past church historians, have referred to this to be one of the most important books in all of Scripture because it is one of those places where Paul clearly lays out the truth that there is indeed one gospel. There's one Savior, there's one Lord, and there's one gospel. There's only one way to the Father in heaven. There's only been one provision made for your sins and mine. There's one gospel, and it is good news. The message of Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross on our behalf, as we pick up here in Romans chapter 3, we've been walking through very quickly. We acknowledge through the book of Romans. Oftentimes when pastors preach through it, it might take quite a while. The first time I preached through Romans, I think I already said it took me almost two years to preach through the book of Romans. Just an incredibly deep and rich book of the truth. As we've been trying to speedily catch up to where the church is at, we've seen really all the way back from chapter 1, Primarily in verses 17 and 18, really a summary of the whole book of the a book of Romans. We have gone through Romans 1 all the way down to we're catching up here in Romans chapter 3. And we've seen basically what Paul has done is he's been arguing that, <clears throat> that all people deserve God's wrath and judgment. To this point... Now, we've ended every message with the truth of the gospel and the hope that's there. But as you read the book of Romans, up to this point, there really has been, there's really not been a whole lot of hope other than, look, there's something better that's coming. The reality is, church, and we must be reminded of this on a regular basis, that the scriptures teach us that those who die without Jesus Christ will live a life separated from him. They will receive the eternal, eternal judgment of God and they'll be cast into a lake of fire and they will, they will spend eternity in hell. And it is a place of sorrow and a place of suffering. It is a place that we as believers, we don't have to dread, but we, we should, our hearts should break knowing that there are people who choose not to trust in Christ who are going to be condemned there one day. Up to this point, Paul has been saying this. Everyone in this world is deserving of the wrath of God. Now, we might say that doesn't seem fair. But again, if you just take the time to read through the book of Romans, especially in chapter 1, Paul, Paul lays out the truth that there's no one without excuse. All of creation cries out that there is one God. There is one creator. And ultimately, this creator revealed himself ultimately through this word and the revelation of who Jesus Christ is. No one is without excuse. Everyone is deserving of God's condemnation. Everyone is deserving of His wrath. Everyone is deserving of His judgment. As we've walked through this book, we've seen that not even the covenant people of Israel, right? Not even His first chosen people were, were, received an exception from, from God's expectation, Right? Not, not even they themselves had an exception since they failed to keep the Mosaic law. In fact, if we really want to summarize everything that we've read up to this point, from, from Romans 1 up to all the way through chapter 2 and now in chapter 3, it can actually be summarized in what Paul does in two verses. 
Look at Romans chapter 3, just really quick, and we're going to read verses 19 through 20 and then pick up in our text for today. It says, Now we know that whether the law says it speaks to those who are subject to the law, so that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment. For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes from the law. Basically, what Paul is doing here is he's summarizing this truth. God gave a law so that his people might be able to have a relationship with him. But ultimately, that law was broken, not by God, but by us. And so the law just simply points people to this truth, that we're failures. You say, wow, that sounds rough. I mean, that's not what you hear in most self-help conversations today, right? Turn on the TED Talk. You're important. You're beautiful. You can be your best you. Here, I've got news for you. Left in and of yourselves, you are rotten. Left in and of myself, I'm absolutely filthy. We're all in the same boat here. We're deserving of God's wrath because of our weakness. And the law points us to that truth. But, church, hold on. As rough as all that might sound, Here's the good news of the gospel. And what Paul does is he pivots, he transitions. And this is the place right here, Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 21. He says, as bad as all of the things that we've discussed up to this point, here's the good news. Verse 21, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, church, to all who believe, since there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. However, they are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented Him as an atoning sacrifice in His blood, received through faith to demonstrate His righteousness Because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented to him to demonstrate, God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I ask that as we dig into your word this morning, that Lord, you would open up our minds, open up our hearts eyes open up our hearts lord to receive the truth of the gospel lord i ask that anyone who's hearing me right now in this room by live stream lord later by recording if there's anyone here anyone in the sound of my voice right now if there's anyone who's never trusted in jesus christ that today would be the day that they surrender their hearts Lord, they would understand the truth of the gospel, that there is good news. There is salvation offered to wicked people. And Lord, I pray that we, as your church, would never grow tired of being reminded of the power of the gospel. That, Lord, we would never grow tired of being reminded of the truth. You love us in spite of who we are, who we've been. Lord, may we be empowered and emboldened now, Lord, 
May we be equipped. May we be burdened to take the good news of the gospel to a lost and dying world. Lord, in other words, Lord, I pray you'd help us not to be selfish with the gospel. Lord, we would be a people who are passionate about proclaiming this truth in love, in grace. Lord, give us us your boldness to proclaim this one gospel so that we might see nations bow before you. Lord, we love you. We trust you. I ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, Lord. Amen. As you pick up here in Romans chapter 3, you see this word that keeps repeated over and over again. Two times referred to as the righteousness of God. Three other times, so roughly about five times, righteousness. We have to understand what righteousness is. Really, just a simple way to define it is when we talk about righteousness in the Scriptures, it is our way of being able to relate back to God rightly. That it is the righteousness of God that declares us righteous so that we can be made right with God, the Father. Now, I know that's a whole lot of rights there. But but basically, what we're talking about here, what Paul says, is there's a way how we, as, as, as a wicked people, how we can be made right with God. So this morning, the simple title of the message is, How to Be Right with God. Even though we're wicked, even though we fall short, even though there seems to be no hope, there is a way for us Wicked men and women, wicked boys and girls, there is a way for us to be made right before a holy God. Where do we see it? What does it look like? In order to understand how we can be right with God, we've got to understand what Paul's teaching here. Three truths. You ready? The first one is this. Salvation is apart from the law. In order to be made right right with God, we've got to realize, we've got to remember that salvation is apart from the law. You say, what in the world are you talking about here? Well, again, you go back to verse 21. Paul says, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. This righteousness of God here, you've got to understand there's a few places where, it kind of, where Paul uses the same phrase to, to kind of point to two different truths. It's still the righteousness of God. This righteousness of God here refers to the the righteousness that God requires to have a right relationship with him. You see, there is a righteousness that God says must be present in order to have a perfect and right relationship with him. The righteousness that you and I so desperately need cannot come through our attempt in keeping the law. That's what Paul's already summarized. He says, God gave us the law in order to make us right with him. But because of sin, because of our breaking of the law, it just points to the truth that, look, you can't be good enough. You can't be smart enough. You can't have enough people just to doggone it like you. You cannot do it. You are not good enough. I am not good enough. And the law is clear in saying that. That if we try to keep the law in order to have a right relationship with God, we'll always fall flat on our face. That if we think we can just go through life and and, and our good outweigh our bad, hear me, those balances, that scale will always tip. Not in our favor. Because of sin, 
we're deserving of God's punishment. Here's why. God's standard of righteousness that he requires to have a right relationship with him, are you ready for it? It's perfection. God demands perfection in order to have a right relationship with him. You say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. And don't stop the recording because there's more to that news. Somebody could dub it right now and say, well, that preacher said, well, you're right. God demands perfection to have a right relationship with him. And the law reveals that. The law reveals that we cannot be good enough so we'll never, in and of ourselves, we will never have a right relationship with the Holy God. But Ephesians 2, verse 8, you'll see it on the screen. It says, For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. You take that truth and you come back to Romans 3, 21, and basically what we see here is that we bring absolutely nothing good to the table. We're, we're, we're sitting down and we have a relationship with God and we think that we can put all of our eggs in a basket and say, here you go, God, this is for you. This is my good. Well, here's bad news. We bring absolutely nothing good to the table in and of ourselves. We make no contribution to our own salvation other than it's our sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. What? We bring nothing to the table. When we sit down and have this conversation with God, we bring absolutely nothing good to the table. And what he realizes and what he sees and what he knows is that it is our sin that we lay out on the table. And he says, I appreciate that. I'm going to take that sin and I'm going to place it on my son, Jesus Christ. Hear me, church. Be reminded. The law points out this truth. He goes on there in, the, in this, he talks about it's even attested by the law and the prophets. This, this is not something that's new. This part of the message is not new. Paul tells us here in verse 21 that all of the Old Testament, it bears witness to the truth that the righteousness that God requires is perfection. But the good news of the gospel is this. It's that through the righteousness of God himself, he does something that we cannot do on our own. You see, the scripture teaches us in order to be right with God, we've got to remember that salvation is apart from the law. But the second truth is this. Salvation is provided by God to all who have faith. Salvation is provided by God himself to all who have faith. Pick up in verse 22. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ. To all who believe, since there is no distinction. There he's talking about between Jew and Greek, right? <clears throat> Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter where you come from. There's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see the righteousness of God here. Here's the second time it appears in this text. And you've got to understand the caveat here. This righteousness of God is not referring to the righteousness that belongs to God. His very righteousness. He is, but that's not what's referred to here. But this is referring to the righteousness, hear me, church, that comes from him. Here's the good news of the gospel. You and I, we sit down at the table and we begin to have these deliberations with God. 
and we say, God, here's my life. <clears throat> here's my good. Here's my bad. When he looks at us in and of ourselves, <clears throat> all he sees is our bad. Because even our good, the scripture teaches us, before God is like filthy rags. So there's nothing that we can do to earn salvation. We sit down at the table. We have a conversation with God. He looks at us and he says, look, in and of yourself, you're rotten. You deserve my punishment. But there's more. It is through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It is through the trusting and the receiving of Christ as Savior and Lord. It's through saving faith that God looks at us and says, as bad as you are, as wicked as you are, if you'll trust in my son Jesus, then when I look at you, I won't look at your good or your bad. I'll look at the sacrifice of Christ himself. I, I will give you my righteousness. I will make you co-heirs with Jesus. Church, somebody better give me an amen. Listen to what the truth of the gospel is. That as wicked as we are, and as deserving of his wrath that we are, God says, when I look at you, I see someone who's covered with the blood of Jesus. So that it's the very righteousness of God himself, through Christ, through the receiving of Christ, that now we are made right with God. The very righteousness that God requires is the very righteousness that he supplies. Do you get it? The very righteousness that God requires of us to have a relationship with him is the very righteousness that he supplies, imputed from the throne, given to us as wicked men and women. We're deserving of his wrath, but God proved his love towards us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Here's the catch. We must come to God and receive that righteousness. We have to come to the table and we have to realize, I can't do it. I can't do it. But Lord, you have taken my place. Holy Father, you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. And, and Lord, I, I repent of my sins. I turn from those sins and I, and I call out. I trust in the name of Jesus. <clears throat> salvation. And the very righteousness that God requires to receive that salvation comes through faith in Jesus. Verse 22, the righteousness of God is through faith <clears throat> Excuse me, in Jesus Christ. If we put our faith in anything or anyone else, hear me. If we put our faith in anything or anyone else, there will be no righteousness from God. Not a loving, merciful, and gracious righteousness. If we put our faith in anyone else, ourselves, our mama, our daddy, our preacher, our pastor, our youth pastor, if we put our faith in anyone else, there will be no receiving 
of the saving righteousness of God. But if we place our faith in Jesus Christ, if we trust in him, then God will impute to us. He will give to us. He will deliver to us. He will ultimately declare us as righteous and holy ourselves. The question is, do you have saving faith? And what exactly is saving faith? Saving faith, it's roughly, here's the way I like to talk about it. Saving faith is the firm commitment of a, of a person's life to Jesus Christ. True saving faith is when someone just commits, surrenders, turns over their life to Jesus Christ. It's more than mere head knowledge about God. It's more than, than head knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is. And listen, true saving faith is even more than a head knowledge about salvation. True saving faith is more than an understanding of what the righteousness of God really is. True saving faith is placing our hope and our confidence and our, our lives in who Christ is and what he's done for us. If you're here this morning, you're watching online, you say, you know what, I'm just not good enough. You're right. You're right. You're not getting self-help from me today. You're absolutely right. You're not. Nor am I. But it can be okay. You can be okay if you will trust in Jesus Christ. If you'll commit your life to Him. You see, saving faith involves turning away from self-righteousness and entrusting our lives to Jesus Christ. That's the good news. And, and even greater news is that this salvation is available for all those who believe. You see it? Look at the verse. It's available to anyone and everyone, for everybody who believes. Why? Why? Because there is no distinction. I'm not a Jew. I'm not a Greek. I'm not a Roman. I'm not good. I'm not bad. Well, you all are bad. So am I. It doesn't matter. There's no distinction in the eyes of God. The only distinction is, are you covered in the blood of Jesus or are you not? That's it, church. If we will surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, if we'll trust in Him, if we'll call upon His name, if we'll believe in the sacrifice of Christ, if we'll believe that He came to this earth, He lived a perfect life, He was crucified because of your sins and mine, placed into a tomb, and praise God, three days later, He arose from the grave. Now He's ascended to the right hand of the Father, and one of these days, He's coming again. If we'll believe that, if we'll trust in that, if we'll trust in Him, we will be saved. This faith, this saving faith is needed by anyone and everyone in order to be saved. Why? Because Paul reminds us one more time in verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, he's saying there, you're not righteous. Me, you, we, us, we are not Righteous in and of ourselves. But praise God, He is. And praise God, He sent Jesus. 
so that you and I could be declared righteous and have a right relationship with the Holy God. That leads us to the third truth. <clears throat> so I'm going to remind you, salvation is apart from the law. Salvation is provided by God to all who have faith. And finally, salvation is accomplished through his sacrifice. Pick up from verse 24. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as an atoning sacrifice in his blood received through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because of his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. There's a couple key words here. Quickly, I need to run through them just because they're very vital to our understanding of the gospel. The first one there, you see it in verse 24, is that we are justified. This word for justified literally means to declare the rightness of someone. In other words, what Paul is saying here is justification is God's declaring, hear me, that all the demands of the law are fulfilled on behalf of the believing sinner through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Justification is God's looking at us and saying, yep, you're not good enough, you can't do it, but if you'll trust in Jesus, then I will declare you as righteous. And at the moment that you and I pray and trust in Jesus Christ, surrender our lives to him as Savior and Lord, at that very moment the Scriptures teach us that we are justified. God declares us as righteous because of the righteousness of Christ. That's why we as Baptists, ultimately as believers, we believe and once truly saved, always saved. Because our salvation is dependent upon us. God's not an Indian giver. God's not one who says, here's your salvation. Oops, sorry, you lost it. Here's your salvation. Oops, sorry, lost it again. It's not a, let me give it to you and take it back. Give it to you and take it back. We didn't deserve it in the first place. We trust in Jesus Christ. We are justified we are declared righteous once and for all. There's a second word here we need to understand. There in verse 24, they are justified freely by his grace. Listen, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That word for redemption, literally, it means it's the idea of delivering. It's, it especially means of, of paying a price. Now, in, even in Scripture but outside of Scripture, this is a word that was commonly used for paying a ransom to free either a prisoner or a slave. Paul makes this very clear in other places that you and I, indeed, we are slaves. We are slaves to our own sin. We are slaves to our own guilt. We are slaves to, to our wickedness and our unrighteousness. But if we'll trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, the Scriptures teach us through the righteousness of Christ, we now are redeemed that God pays the penalty for us. How? Through the sacrifice of Jesus. It is the blood of Christ that God requires in order to purchase us back into a right relationship with Him. That's redemption. So we're justified. We're redeemed. Here's another one. And this one's a little deep. See it back there in verse 24. They are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Excuse me, in verse 25. God 
presented him as an atoning sacrifice. Now, some translations, in fact, this I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible and probably what you saw on the screen a moment ago. Um, it, it referred to God provided him as a mercy seat. Some translations go ahead and translate it to this word. He was the propitiation. Now, all those are big words. You say, what in the world's happening there? Well, in the Christian standard, this was actually an advanced copy, and they refer to it here. I actually like what, the, what, what, the, what they've decided to land on. I mean, what they did have here before was that God presented him as an atoning sacrifice. Literally, in the Scriptures, it refers to a place, the mercy seat. He was ultimately the, the atoning sacrifice. He was the propitiation. That word, it carries the idea of he was the appeasement. He was the satisfaction of, for, for God. For our unrighteousness. What's happening here? Why, why the different words and, and what does this mean? Well, for the early Jewish believer, they knew exactly what Paul was talking about. Literally, when he was talking about the mercy seat, it was the, the top of the Ark of the Covenant. And that in, in, in the Old Testament times, in a part of the law, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would sacrifice a perfect, spotless lamb. He would enter the Holy of Holies. He would take the blood of that lamb and sprinkle it on top of the altar, on top of the ark. And it was a representation of the shed blood, listen, of a perfect, spotless lamb that was ultimately given as an appeasement for God, an appeasement for His wrath. You see, God is just. And a part of His nature, He must hate sin. He hates your sin. He's disgusted by it. He hates my sin. He's, he's horrified by it. He must be that. But even from the Old Testament, and now ultimately revealed in Christ, the perfect spotless lamb, each and every time that day of atonement came and ultimately revealed in Christ and who he is. And at that point, there was no more reason for, for having the day of the atonement. Because at that moment, it was the day of the atonement. Where God took the blood of Jesus Christ and he appeased himself. He took care of his own wrath. You get it? God is just and at the same time, he's the justifier. Say, how in the world could anyone possibly justify the wrath of God? 1 Timothy 2. Paul, writing to Timothy, he gives us a little insight on this. 1 Timothy 2, verses 5 through 6. You'll see it hopefully on the screen. If not, you can just write it down. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself, listen, as a ransom for all, a testimony at the, at the right time. Understand, this is what Paul's getting at. Through Christ, through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, God appeased his own wrath towards those who believe. Understand, God's still being just. He's going to ultimately pour out further wrath on the sins of the world. But if you and I, if we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we've received the atonement, the propitiation of our sin. What we've received there is God's wrath being wiped away. God's wrath being stayed. Not because of who we are and what we've done, but because of the sacrifice of Christ. It was the cross. The cross not only did something for us, it, did, it actually did something for the Father. You get it? 
the cross of Jesus didn't do something just for us. It did something for God the Father himself. It appeased his own wrath towards those who are in Christ. Why? Look at verse 25 and 26. Here's, here's the summary of it. Why did God do that? Ultimately, what does it say? To demonstrate his own righteousness. Church, <laughs> there's no greater truth in all of Scripture that God being just, he had to deal with sin. And because he was willing to deal with sin on our behalf, as much as he hates it, as much as he's disgusted by it, he took his one and only son, the perfect spotless lamb of God, and he said, you're going to die. You're going to suffer. Your, your blood, it's going to be shed so that my righteousness might be justified, so that my wrath might be stayed so that my anger towards wickedness might be satisfied. If we are able to be released from our sin, the justice of God demanded that there be one who would suffer in our place. You get it, right? For God to be God, he couldn't look past our sin. For God to be God, he had to deal with it. For God to be God, he had to deal with sin eternally. Because he's just, he had to punish it. And because he's the justifier, he devised a plan whereby a substitute, a substitution on our behalf would stand in our place and bear the guilt of our sin. And his name is Jesus. I'm sorry. God is righteous. And he hates your sin. But he does not hate you. Do you hear me? God is righteous. And he's horrified. He's, he's disgusted by our sin. And he wants, he wants nothing to do with it. He should not have to do anything with the church. But to prove his righteousness, he sent his son to die. He had to choose to send his son to die for your sins and mine. And it's because of that Jesus Christ is just and the justifier. This is how God justifies sinners who trust in his son without forfeiting his own justice. 
This is why, church, there's only one gospel. Nothing else could do that. No one else could think of that. No one else could achieve it. But Jesus did. Here's my question to you. Are you right with God? Are you right with Him? Hear me, I, I, I hope I haven't come across as too hard. But there's some hard truths to the gospel. It's, it's, not, it's not easy believism that I'm preaching up here either. Oh, just believe. Believe what? Believe that salvation is apart from the law. That we can't be good enough to earn salvation. Okay, all right. So what do you believe beyond that? That salvation is provided by God to all who have faith in Jesus Christ. That he's the only way. Okay, what, what do we believe then? That salvation is accomplished through his sacrifice. He had to die so that his wrath could be satisfied. Do you believe it? If you're here this morning, I'm going to ask Pastor Ricky and the praise team to come. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, hear me. Today is the day. Don't wait, don't tarry. The Scripture teaches us that one of these days, Jesus is coming again. No one of us is guaranteed tomorrow. Jesus could be back here in just 30 seconds. We don't know. Nobody knows. And don't believe anybody who says they do know. We have no idea when he's coming again. But look, he might tarry. Even though he tarries, none of us is still guaranteed the next 30 seconds. I could kill over as soon as I step off the stage from a heart attack. I could kill over right now. That's just the reality of life in this broken world. But the reality of the gospel is this. That there's still hope, and that hope is in Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning by way of online, if you're here in this room, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond to the truth of the gospel. You're going to see in a moment there's a number that you can text and, and, and just saved in order, in order to reach out to a pastor who's online. And we'd love to follow up with you. And as we, as we dismiss, there's going to be pastors in the room over here to the side that we'd love to talk with you about how you can pray to receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. There's good news to the gospel. For the rest of us who are already believers, you say, all right, pastor, I get it. I, well, I sure hope you're not tired of hearing it. We need to be reminded each and every day of the power of the gospel so that we then might be encouraged and emboldened to take this good news to anyone and everyone. Why? Because there's only one gospel. People must hear the truth of the gospel. People must place their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. There is no way to the Father but through Christ. We as His people have one responsibility, to live our lives reflecting the righteousness of God Himself, declared to us by Christ, and preach that truth so that others might realize they're sinners in need of a Savior. Pray to receive Christ as Savior and Lord. I'm going to ask you, we'll bow your heads, and then we're going to give you an opportunity to respond to the truth of the gospel. I don't know how God is leading, but I do know this. God's always leading. Would you pray with me? 
Heavenly Father, I ask that this moment as we enter this time of commitment, that you would do a work in the life first of your people, that we as your church would be reminded of the truth of the gospel. But Lord, after that, I pray right now, if there's anyone here, anyone listening by way of online, who's never repented of their sins, turned from their sins, and placed their faith in Jesus Christ. I pray right now through the urging and the moving and the power of the Holy Spirit that you would breathe new life into them. And that, Lord, they might receive the love, mercy, and grace of a holy and righteous and just God. Understanding there's nothing they can do in order to be saved, but they can just simply be declared righteous because of who you are, because of what Christ has done for them. Lord, we love you. We trust you. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen.